welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Well, folks, we are back in Acts chapter 5. And we have uh, we have been studying Ananias and Sapphira now, and this this will be the third week. Uh, however, it's it's more topical today uh, because we'll find that there is a question that needs to be answered here uh, before we move on. I'd like to open with a familiar passage. That would be First Corinthians chapter eleven. This is where the apostle Paul describes the fate of some who had taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I'll begin reading in verse 17. Uh, Note that when Paul states, many in Corinth had become sick and a number asleep, the word he chooses there, asleep, uh, that is used extensively throughout 1 Corinthians. Uh, It it is a euphemism, a a nice word uh, that Paul employs to describe Christians Uh, who had, as a result of divine judgment upon their sin, physically died. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's a very startling startling warning in verse verse 17. Paul writes, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, uh, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one of you takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Then in verses 23 to 26, he prescribes the Lord's Supper. We will celebrate that next Sunday. Uh, Please drop down and pick up again at verse 27, uh, where Paul continues the warning. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, uh, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So you will not come together for judgment. Uh, The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. 
So the church in, in Corinth, it had become very sectarian. Sectarian means uh, it began, there began to appear divisions and factions. In fact, in chapter 1, the opening chapter, uh, we learn that they even practiced sectarian, sectarian baptism. Here in chapter 11, uh, they were taking the Lord's Supper separately. And in a display of God's judgment, verse 30 said that many became sick. And a number, the Greek implies a considerable number, a number had died. This too was sin that leads to death. In response to grievous sin, God had brought sickness and, and even some had progressed to premature death. Uh, there, there's an infamous so-called brother in chapter 5. Uh, Paul told them to remove him, disassociate from him, uh, for that man has been delivered over to Satan for destruction of his flesh. And uh, on a positive note, without a immoral brother on in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 the second letter in this series seems to reveal that that man did not die it, but rather he repented and turned from his sin and was restored again to fellowship at least that's how it appears uh, to have happened therefore therefore the goal of expelling someone from fellowship is not their destruction but restoration when that brother or sister decides to value Christ and his church more than the sin that they are in. And therefore, they seek to be restored again to the church. Uh, the goal of spiritual discipline of any kind uh, is for the wayward Christian to be restored to Christ's church. That, that is what uh, the Word and us want to see. Similarly... Some of the Christians to whom our Lord's brother James writes, uh, they were experiencing quarrels and infighting. Some were adulterating themselves through befriending the world. Uh, they had placed themselves at enmity with God. Uh, but particularly, division had again summoned the Holy Spirit's judgment. James 5 verse 9 states, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I was going to ask Tim, check, make sure we want to be careful about, make sure the judge isn't out there. By the, uh, the judge was right there, says James. And much like Paul had in Corinth, James had, uh, for his readers, condemned worldliness in all factions in the local church. James 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing, writes James. Here, Christians had been lying. They had been deceiving others in the church. Uh, that is what 
took Ananias and Sapphira down. And, and knowing Satan and Satan is the father of lies, James offers uh, this command in James 5, verse 12. James 5, verse 12. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Deceiving and division uh, leading to God's judgment is the context of the warning in James 5, verse 12. Uh, and, and James warns believers, believers that divine judgment is standing right at the door. Finally then, in James 5, verse 13, one verse later, he offers this conclusion to his epistle. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, and here's what the therefore is for. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. As observed in Corinth, uh, this prescription of healing is written for the wayward Christian. Who, who, they're experiencing God's judgment. Uh, having fallen ill, being in the sickbed, having fallen ill, he or she too is to examine themselves. And the remedy involves him or her calling for the elders of the church uh, so that they can confess, so that they can repent, uh, so that they can be restored again to fellowship. Uh, James says, confess your sins and you will be healed. Again, these are people who, as a result of God's judgment, have, had fallen gravely ill, uh, some possibly removed from fellowship. And, and the Holy Spirit convicts them that it convicts them that this, this sickness is a consequence of, consequence of God's judgment. The Holy Spirit is working in this and, and convicts them that their sickness is a result of God's judgment, and therefore, it is that sick person's responsibility to call for the elders to come. That he or she will confess to repent and be restored again to Christ's church. James closes that narrative, actually the whole letter, uh, and, and with these final words. He says, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Obviously, the entire context is the sickbed. It's God's judgment leading to physical death, uh, even of a Christian but not unto condemnation. Not unto condemnation. Uh, Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, 
one lingering question that is remaining from our study of Ananias and Sapphira. It's a nagging question that must be resolved. We can't move on without answering this question. Why don't we commonly observe God's judgment resulting in sickness and even death today? Ananias and Sapphira, I think we probably uh, concluded, most of us anyhow, you may disagree, but it appears as though they were unbelievers. They, they experienced sudden death. 1 Corinthians 11, however, and James chapter 5, describe believers who had fallen gravely ill. These, these were Christians. Uh, but where some are compelled by the Holy Spirit to examine themselves, to self-examine, to repent, and to be restored again. Uh, These situations describe sins that lead to death. And I've never witnessed either scenario. A sudden death on Sunday? Well, we'll see. we got a little time yet. Um... No, a, a sudden death on Sunday, nor a Christian who after sowing division in the church falls into the sickness, uh, uh, but then calls for the elders saying, I want to be restored again. Um, James 5 describes a wayward sinner declaring, I want to be re-identified with the church again. That, that church that I have offended, that, ch- that church where I have sinned and caused division, send for the elders. Send the elders. Uh, your elders here know that the Old Testament symbolism in anointing and anointing oil is identification. Samuel anointed David, uh, identified him as king of Israel. Uh, Anointing with oil is to identify with something, spiritual identification. And so on behalf of the church, uh, we would go and hear the confession and restore them as well. But my phone has never rung. Nor do I know a pastor who has ever encountered someone dying like this. You know, there probably still occurs sin unto death. Don't don't think that there is. And we learned last week, don't test the spirit. But for a culprit who has attempted to divide, uh, even successfully splitting a church, many a church we've seen, Uh, through time, uh, to then fall deathly ill so as to be compelled by the Holy Spirit to seek out for restoration. Uh, It has likely happened. I've never observed it. But do you know what I have seen? I have encountered many divisive and immoral people who spread lies, uh, and, and so has every other pastor by the way. Every other pastor I've met is experienced with wolves and sheep's clothing. Uh, Here's a trade secret of pastors. You ready? We keep a gallon of olive oil under our desk ready for that call that never seems to come. 
I'm ready for that call. Sure, I I regularly visit people in hospitals, pray for them. um, But anointing with oil, it's it's not a miracle tonic. It's not a miracle elixir. Anointing is for the one who wants to be identified with the Spirit of Christ and the church again. Uh, Oil is a symbol of the Spirit's restoration. So, So if someone calls says, you know, Pastor John, get Anthony and Steve, get them together, quick, come, bring the oil with you. My response is going to be, girl, what have you done? What is it that you need to repent of and confess? Uh, and, and of course, that man or woman would have to confess that uh, before any chance of restoration and, and anointing could occur. And if they have committed sins, they will be raised up. James says, if they haven't committed sins, if it's just a regular sickness that many of us fall to, then then they might not. Uh, This is because the reason that we visit people in the hospital and pray for them is because the calls that I do receive to visit people who have fallen ill, they are not the judgments of God upon their sin. Uh, Most illnesses and death most illnesses and death are consequences of our, of our human frailty. Uh, living in a fallen world, uh, all of us sin, surely, and therefore all of us die, and the wages of our sin is death. Uh, and all death is ultimately a result of sin. Your sin or someone else's sin, it may be a drive-by shooting, but it's all a result of sin. But we don't visit persons in the hospital and and unilaterally declare to them, this must be because of your sin. Dirty person. No, how cruel and inaccurate it was for Job's friends to conclude that. They just assumed it. Job said, I have no confession to make. I haven't sinned. It was something else going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes of God's plan that had caused Job to get sick. Folks, godly people get sick. And rather than dropping dead, what we, what we normally observe today uh, with divisive people, with factious people, immoral people, false teachers, heretics, what we normally observe today is they live long and prosper. They, they don't die. Their, their business thrives, uh, certified by their doctors in perfect health. Uh, they hit the stock market big. One man told me years ago, years ago, shortly before uh, he and his wife attempted to split this church way back, way back when, that his financial prosperity was an indication to him guaranteeing he was right with God. He did not receive it well when I assured him his wealth wasn't an indication he was right with God. Um, But guaranteed health and wealth is the false doctrine that is spread uh, by the prosperity gospel today. That by your financial situation and by your health, you can then assess and declare uh, your position with God. Now, that, that's just complete error. 
complete error cannot be reconciled to Scripture. Um, but, but here is the harsh reality. And I haven't seen this here in recent years. All right, you can all relax, take a breath. I haven't seen this in recent years, but I've seen it more than once. Um, it is very possible for a liar and a deceiver to divide and drag 15 or 20 people out of a church and live large for years afterwards. If you have attended any church for any length of time, uh, you've probably seen it as well. So why is it then, why is it so rare for them to get sick or die? Since, since it appeared fairly common in the early church. You know, we know for sure that God has not changed. His, his nature and his attributes are immutable. God doesn't change in his character or his attributes. We know that mankind has not changed. Apart from God's, God's spirit, we're just corrupt. Sinful and corrupt. You know, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked, writes Jeremiah. Who can understand it? Man hasn't changed. Yet from Genesis to Revelation, we do find that from time to time, the way that God governs his people does occasionally change. Folks, we cannot conclude today that every person attending a church is better than Ananias or Sapphira because they don't drop dead. Simply not true. Or that today Christians will never, as an immoral act or divisiveness, as had been seen in Corinth, uh, fall sick. The natural man has not evolved uh, to a state where he is superior today. So why don't more sinners drop dead and get sick and die? I think that's a reasonable question. And in light of Ananias and Sapphira, it has to be answered. And the reason that we rarely, if ever, see sin unto death today, um, it's not because these early accounts are a myth. They, they are true. They are accurate accounts. Um, no, it, it's because the way that the Holy Spirit disciplines today has changed a little bit. It changed during this, this period of about four decades, about four decades that Acts was written, um, which is essentially about the same period where most of the New Testament was written. Um, essentially the same period, by the way, that new instructions for discipline, spiritual discipline, were woven into the New Testament, uh, uniquely woven into letters that we call pastoral epistles. Now, before we move on, uh, speaking of spiritual discipline, we're, we're talking about something that is overt. It's out in the open. Uh, we see it. We've got evidence of it. Uh, 
a text has been shared, something's been, is just, someone has just been very blatant about it and it needs to be addressed. Or even if it's kept behind the scenes, we have sure knowledge of it. We're, We're not talking as much about Matthew 18 here, where a brother is offended by another brother and you go to that brother to be restored in, in hopes to preserve that individual's reputation, right? Matthew 18, that's step one. Go to them privately. Um, step two, if they won't listen, take someone else. Try to, again, preserve their reputation. Uh, though some, some elements of that transfer over, the, the pastors have had to you know, talk to people before, and we try to just keep everything you know, re- re- rest restored. So there are elements that are the same, um, but this is spiritual discipline for something that is doctrinal or moral that needs to be addressed. It seems the Holy Spirit acted, er, acted early and very decisive in the church uh, until the apostles began to delegate spiritual oversight uh, of local churches to groups of men called overseers. Overseers, episcopos. Uh, Sometimes they're called bishops, sometimes elders, pastors, or shepherds. They're sometimes referred to. And our scripture reading earlier reveals that this was a divine prerogative. This this was the Holy Spirit's delegation. It's his his choice to do this. Um, In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul, when departing Ephesus, for the final time, as we saw earlier, wrote this to those elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Why be on guard? Paul continues. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, uh, speaking perverse things to draw, draw away disciples after themselves. You know, after the last two Sundays in Acts chapter 5, we, we recognized how the Holy Spirit was very protective of Christ's church in the early days, to the, to the point that he took the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. It's how protective God is, how the Holy Spirit is protective of Christ's church. In Corinth, the Spirit cast many immoral and divisive brethren into sickness. A considerable number died. Uh, But the Spirit later decided to delegate spiritual oversight, granting overseers the opportunity to serve Christ through protecting his bride and seeking restoration. Um, Folks, Acts chapter 5 is very early in the church age. Within within the first two years, Ananias and Sapphira, um, the epistle of James, which addressed sickness, uh, it too is considered by most theologians, by many, there's quite a consensus that James is the first epistle that was written to the churches. It's very early. The church in Corinth was so new that when Paul wrote them, there were no pastors or elders there yet to address in his letters. Um, So the apostle addresses the membership at large, 
saying, you know, remove that immoral brother. Don't associate with him. It's been turned over to Satan for destruction of the body. And because overseers had not yet been appointed in Corinth, the Holy Spirit was still busy purging. I.e., many became sick. A considerable numbers of Christians died. Uh, people had been routinely dying. And believe it or not, Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians during his three years that he was staying in Ephesus. And, and we discover it's only after Paul had written 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And upon his final departure from Ephesus, when Paul said to those elders there, now the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's about 56 AD. Now the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're all smart people. I think we can make this leap together uh, through deduction pretty easily. Um, it was after leaving Ephesus having traveled to Rome, when Paul wrote the final three letters, known as pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, uh, when the apostle gives, well, actually when the Holy Spirit gives uh, clear scriptural qualifications for overseers. And Paul instructs Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete. This is Titus 1 verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Through these pastoral epistles, uh, Paul reveals that all churches, just as, just as the Holy Spirit had in Ephesus, God now ordains elders are to be in every church and in every city for the purpose of protecting Christ's flock. And from many things, savage wolves and sheep's clothing, um, Paul says they'll drag disciples after themselves. Um, additionally, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, what's very interesting with this is Peter is writing almost the exact same time we know chronologically, as Paul, when Paul wrote the pastoral epistles. Peter is writing at the same time, it's about 64 AD, stating, quote, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, there has to be parameters. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, uh, nor yet as lording it over those who are allotted to your charge. So again, you see authority there allotted to your charge, uh, but providing to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, we learn from Peter that the Spirit now delegates oversight to elders who, who function as shepherds of God's flock. And as a result, we rarely observe the Holy Spirit purging the church 
by taking somebody's life. It's because God has delegated spiritual oversight to local shepherds in every local church of every city. Uh, They also answer directly to the chief shepherd, Christ, and they will answer to him as to whether or not they protected his bride. Elders who shepherd, also known as pastors, they're tasked with keeping watch over Christ's flock. And uh, therefore, pastoral epistles, pastoral letters, uh, prescribe uh, aberrant aberrant doctrine, uh, immorality, deviant behavior. The pastoral epistles prescribe uh, that they be confronted by the local shepherds striving to prevent the savage wolves from dragging off sheep and making disciples of them on their own selves. Uh, currently, uh, at Port St. Lucie Bible Church, that would include uh, me, uh, Anthony Alberino, Steve Elger. Um, both are very kind and gentle men, by the way, but also very diligent about this charge. Very diligent. Uh, but, but shepherding is a wearisome task, folks. Shepherding is a wearisome task. Because here's an important point. This this is a very important point. Local shepherds are not taught by Scripture that if we sense a threat to Christ's flock, that we're just supposed to wait around until the Holy Spirit makes that person sick. Nor are we to conclude that if People deceive the church as Ananias and Sapphira did. You know, none to worry. I just, you know, be patient. Just wait and sit on the sidelines long enough and we can be assured that the Holy Spirit will finally get around, eventually get around to disciplining. He'll take them out if we just wait long enough. And meanwhile, the wolves are just tearing the flock apart. Um, No, we are not instructed by Scripture to wait around and expect for that to happen. Because if things are left unaddressed, the Apostle Paul said in his pastoral epistles, uh, this is 2 Timothy 2.17, expect their talk to spread like gangrene. And and for those uh, permitted to persist in immorality, uh, know that that will eventually leaven the whole lump of dough. So, So again, uh, evidently, we're not to you know just perpetually wait until the Holy Spirit steps in as the Terminator. Not to wait for that at all. No spiritual oversight has been delegated today, and um, is all pastors receive who receive this same charge uh, that I'm going to read from Paul in Second Timothy four one. This is not just to Timothy; this is to all pastors. Quote. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth 
and will turn aside to myths. Furthermore, we see that there are rebellious and rebellious people and deceivers who are upsetting all kinds of people, Paul writes in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. You know what he says? He says they must be silenced. They must be silenced. And in verse 13, he writes, For this reason, reprove them severely. You know, scripture does not express in any terms, you know, just wait until they eventually get sick and die. No, that is not how the Holy Spirit normally works today. Folks, being an elder is a very difficult role. Very difficult role. I want to commend Anthony and Steve uh, for their work. They aren't on staff like I am. Um, the, the man obviously has to be respectable, but he remains unqualified if he cannot confront false teaching and will not confront error. Then they're not an elder. El- elders have to be willing to be able to identify and isolate threats to the flock. Um, there are many qualifications in scripture, don't be misled that elder elder means elderly. They don't have to be older. Age isn't specifically a requirement other than you can't be a new believer. You can be younger as well. There are many, many people we've had young and old who have served here well. Uh, we had a couple men, uh, Earl Baker uh, years ago, Jerry Robertson more recently. Uh, they died in the saddle. They just kept on shepherding and until, until the Lord called them home. Uh, we've also had younger, who, who are very wise, and uh, a pastor on staff here who did very, very well. Um, so elders have qualifications, and one of them is to be able to exhort in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. Um, shepherds from time to time have to pro- proactively step in, folks, to defend the flock with which Christ purchased with his own blood. Not an enjoyable task. Not an enjoyable task. Um, I think it will help to illustrate using a handful of doctrinal threats um, that I, along with the other elders, have needed to address in the past. Many of you will never see most of these things. And I'm not going to go through them all. But many will never see behind the curtain um, the types of things that we have have, uh, had to address. Years ago... When uh, this church was still managing a good bit of debt, one man who contributed a lot of money to the church, I only knew because he told me, so I don't check up on people's giving, no interest in looking at people's dollar figures, but he made himself a dollar figure, threatened both myself and our associate pastor at the time that if we did not stop teaching biblical six-day creation, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, out of nothing, he would pull his financial support from the church. He was told he could not buy Christ's church. And uh, we continued to teach biblical creationism, and he left the church. That experience, by the way, is uh, why we continue to have a question on our questionnaire for application. Uh, Do you believe in creation that God created? Uh, Do you believe that's what the Bible teaches? That's because if you just won't listen to that type of teaching, because he he said, no, you're going to stop teaching this, then it's better to be at another church if you can't hear uh, what the Bible says. So that's why that question's in there. Another time, a charismatic group, they're about 12 in number, I think, 
uh, were determined that they were going to charismatically take over worship. That they're charismatically going to uh, act out during worship. They spread the word that they could not hold back the Spirit any longer. And somebody gave me a tip. Yeah. I received a tip that they would be acting out the following Sunday. And uh, the associate pastor and I uh, got together. We were careful. We prayed. Well, what are we going to do? Uh, we confronted one of the main actors face to face the Wednesday beforehand. And uh, he affirmed that was their plan. Uh, they were all set to let the Spirit loose the next Sunday uh, by coming out of their rows and, uh, I guess, subduing the front is all you could call it during worship, even during the sermon. They're going to come forward and they're going to make their presence known and act out in the Spirit. Uh, they say, well, Spirit, in quotes. Um, don't worry, this, this was not planned for last Sunday. This isn't, it's been a while back, don't worry. Um, who among us wants to sit and have to watch that? People distracting our attention from worshiping Christ by acting ecstatically and drawing attention to themselves physically and taking our, uh, distracting us from Jesus Christ who we worship. That is not the spirit of Christ. Acting out and drawing attention to yourself, uh, that, that is not the spirit of Christ when we worship together. I, uh, I promised that man that if that were to occur at any point, I would stop the service until we had an opportunity to remove them all. They didn't act out. Instead, uh, within a short amount of time, they changed their narrative, sowed disinformation, division, and discontent, and pulled at least 20 people out of here on that occasion. There were, there were wolves among them that did not spare the flock as they left. But what would have happened to Port St. Lucie Bible Church if they'd not been confronted? And if allowed, who among us would want to stay? If that were permitted by the elders, you know, every scripturally refined mind would leave and we would lose the church. All that would be left is people who want to act out. Another man started discreetly hinting uh, to the persons who were sitting next to him on Sunday uh, that Jesus was not the eternal Son of God, but that he was actually Michael the Archangel. Well, pastors were able to validate through some witnesses. Uh, we prepared a plan to directly um, address him. This guy wasn't a member. Uh, this is very important, by the way. Um, a couple of people in the flock informed leadership that this is what was being said behind the scenes, uh, that this man was discreetly fishing around, trying to, trying to see if he could get nibbles. You know what he landed himself? A 220-pound associate pastor. Yeah, that, that did not go down pretty. Um, but I was impressed with the young Pastor Weiler on that day. And he had determined a shepherd of Christ's flock doesn't wait around for the Holy Spirit to make someone sick or die. He was confronting, the situation kind of spooled out of control. He was confronting the situation. I was hiding in the bushes <laughs> in the back. Um, folks, none of these people 
ever got sick or died. Sometime later, we experienced a sectarian spirit. One fellow hoping to draw some disciples to himself began competing with our Wednesday evening. Did so by telling people that they should be prioritizing his Tuesday evening when they really get serious about the Lord and the Bible. I learned later that they had been discreetly circulating the idea that our Wednesday gatherings, well, they are all right, uh, but kind of amateur night. He said, no, visit ours and said, it's kind of amateurs there at church. Come to our house. Um, But some things that hit my radar, even before a young gal asked me to be baptized. She said she loved the church, had grown. I wanted to profess faith through baptism. And it was around the holidays when she informed me of this. Uh, We had a lot of events scheduled and other things. And uh, I asked if it would be okay if we just delay until after the holidays, and then we could put it in the bulletin and ask anyone else if they want to. She says, sure, that's no problem at all. Uh, that's definitely uh, not, not a problem for her. Uh, I approached her then after New Year's to ask if she was ready, and she said, oh, we already took care of that. I said, what do you mean? You already took care of that. And she said the Tuesday group told her that she didn't need to be baptized at church, uh, and they baptized her on Tuesday in that person's hot tub. Most of you don't know this ever happened. Um, The rest of us who knew her never got to be edified during her baptism. Instead, she became a notch in somebody's belt. And uh, I, I don't like sectarianism. I don't like things set up to compete with Christ's church. And uh, he was a member that, he was a member, he needed to be confronted. Uh, Made me a bit upset. I gave the situation some time just to cool off a little bit. You know what happened? Somebody died. Does that blow my whole theory? No, it wasn't someone from the group. But it did alter the course of events and made the intervention unnecessary. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to expound more. It changed the course of events, um, not claiming it was the judgment of God by any means. Uh, Folks, this is just a small sampling of nine years. Small sampling, but I'd like to share one more. We had a member here who, outside of Sunday morning, began telling other members that we should not be studying the Old Testament. Most of you have heard of this ancient error. It's gaining traction again today, related to Marcionism. Andy Stanley wrote a book titled Unhitched, which basically teaches that we should just discard the Old Testament, set that aside, don't teach from that. And uh, again, we were first alerted by a member of the deviant error. Until a man finally shared a Stanley video, and uh, after which we talked to him, uh, said, "No, we can talk to him now. We have, you know, we have affirmation." And uh, at that meeting, he also insisted that Christians should not be teaching the Ten Commandments. Whoa! Whoa! After consulting the elders, at that time it was Jerry Robertson, Gerald Weiler, Anthony was on the board. Uh, I called 
him to politely tell him that his false teaching will not under any circumstances be allowed at this church, under any scenario. And uh, within a short period of time, within a couple of weeks, he had texted Pastor Weiler uh, saying for some other unrelated reason, that's why they were leaving to attend another church. Some other reason they gave. I- I'm glad he didn't die either. I don't want to see anyone die. We want to see mercy and I'm not... <laughs> I'm glad no, none of these individuals died, um, but as elders, we just can't sit around and let things go unaddressed until somebody gets sick and dies. That's just not how it works today in the church. Um, these, these issues arise in churches quite frequently, all churches. Go to a pastor's conference and you'll, you'll get an earful, um, but sin leading to sickness and death seem to be relatively rare today. In fact, the Holy Spirit bringing death is so rare that people who are divisive and immoral uh, and act out seem to have absolutely no fear at all. They just do it. Uh, Folks, the elders here are very hospitable and nice. Uh, We don't want anyone to die. Uh, The Holy Spirit today shows patience, and so do we. but the Holy Spirit has given overseers to shepherd the church of God, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. Um, and as a result, death like Ananias and Sapphira today is, is quite rare. Quite rare. I would not test the Spirit. Because I can't assure you that you won't die. But one final note. Um, much of what the elders have addressed first comes to our attention through you through a text or through information, comes from you. Uh, you are the members of the body as well who alert us. Um, you're, you're a very vigilant congregation, and we appreciate that very much. Folks, um, I think that I got a little bit more, but I think it's time to close in prayers. It's sunny, it's sunny enough. Sunny enough outside. Let's pray.